Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Thursday, January 28th is brought to you by the Chicago Federation of Labor, SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, and the Chicago Reader. Benny J, take it away. I remember the day it was about two years ago, something like that. Uh, I was at a radio station. Can't remember the name of the radio station. Anyway, uh, I heard I had heard that there was a uh, left of center candidate running for Congress in the 5th Congressional District against Mike Quigley, who's very much of the centrist variety. Her name was Samina Mustafa. So I invited her on the show. And that's how I met Samina Mustafa, who I think I've always said she's the AOC of Chicago. Uh, And um, she didn't win that election. Uh, AOC won her election in 2018. And ever since then, Samina Mustafa, I've been trying to figure out what's the difference between Chicago and New York. Conversation we've had uh, more than once. Uh, You've been a regular on the show. both at that radio station that I can't remember, uh, and uh, this podcast, but you haven't been on in a while. So welcome back. Welcome back to the show. And something changed in your life. Uh, so why don't you tell folks what changed in your life and what's different about Samina Mustafa now than from when she you were on the show last, which I think was in October. Go ahead. I now live in Los Angeles. So I I can officially call myself a coastal elite. No, that's, no. <laughs> I, uh, I was just a Midwestern elite, I guess before, uh, no, I, so we moved to Los Angeles, my husband and I. And so, um, one of the things that Ben and I talked about before, uh, I jumped on just now is how Chicago looks to folks outside of Chicago. Um, in addition to all the other political goings on and nonsense and, uh, shenanigans that seem to plague Chicago politics once in, uh, and now and forever. So, um, yeah, that, that's what's different. Well, um, it's really nice that uh, you're in Los Angeles. It's nice and warm uh, there, I'm sure. Uh, right now, we're in the middle of a cold snap, and it's just miserable. So you made the right decision from the weather point of view. Since, I mean, since you talked about how Chicago, let's let's. I, I was gonna fly, I was gonna talk national first and go local, but let's start with uh, how Chicago looks from afar because I find this interesting. Uh, I've always found this interesting because the attitude that out-of-towners have toward our mayors, be it Daly or Rahm uh, and Lori Lightfoot, is always different than what locals have, or at least what I have. Uh, So why don't you talk about how, just address that, how does Chicago look uh, from the vantage point of somebody in L.A. if you're following it from, I don't know, CNN or national uh, television or national publications? Yeah, I was really struck by how the Chicago public schools uh, opening and the and the, the closure and the, and the conflict around that is being covered, um, and that was the thing we had had touched upon on the phone. And it to me, it it doesn't portray Chicago in a really good light. I mean, I can just say as a comparison, the head of LA um, USD, the the school district, the superintendent here had said that they're not going to open schools until um, all the teachers have received the vaccine. So just like, that's just like one like clear difference. Um, The other thing is I, I would say, and this is something I perceived while in Chicago as well, is that political reporting that is national doesn't really get past the surface in Chicago. People don't spend the time to talk to activists or advocates that um, they just talk to, they'll just talk to electeds and they'll, they'll stop there. So like Lori Lightfoot's doing, if, if you don't live in Chicago, Lori Lightfoot doesn't look uh, quite nearly so incompetent <laughs> as she, she in fact is. And so, um, you know, I remember uh, having a kind of a Twitter exchange with somebody who runs a political podcast. She's based in Seattle and was saying, you know, Lori Lightfoot's, you know, you know, a trailblazer and all this stuff. And I was like, you know, and, and, and telling her, look, black and brown folks in Chicago fought 
her election. They did not want her in that office. And so, um, you know, whatever, you know, the whatever comms firm that Lightfoot, Rom, and all of these uh, politicos share are doing their job well. They're they're putting their name in the national press in a way to make them look like they're doing their job. But Chicagoans know the truth, which is that they're doing a terrible job. Um, you shared with me the Politico op-ed that Rom wrote this week. Mm-hmm. I, I just uh, my jaw just dropped reading that. I'm thinking you're really talking about investing in education, Mister Close Fifty Chicago Public Schools, like. What? How did that even? Well, I don't trust Politico um, to be in, you know, <laughs> it's not a lefty rag, as it were. Um, any any publication that's going to give a guest editing role to Ben Shapiro is one that no longer can be counted on as um as a responsible journalism outlet. I actually I, I was getting the playbook. I unsubscribed. I finally was like, this is it. I'm done. I'm done with Politico. I, <laughs> I begrudgingly clicked on the link you send me. I, I just, I'm very, um, I am struck by how the press has learned absolutely nothing in, uh, since Trump and they're repeating the same mistakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Chicago's political media does um, kind of a lot of the same, makes a lot of the same mistakes. They focus on the Jesse Smollett's and not on the substance. Mm-hmm. And um, and then they let people like Rom, you know, kind of rewrite history. Well, I, I just want to make, uh, take issue with just the one thing you said before I, I take a deeper dive in it. Um, uh, black and brown people opposed Lori Lightfoot. She was elected across the board with wides, uh, spread support in 20, 29%, 29% of the electric voter for her. So that was turnout. Was it like, yeah, turnout, okay. so let's be clear yeah. that, um, you know, that's like Trump, that's Trumpian numbers. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and I, 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 of, yeah. So, I mean, like, let's take a step back and see what does our democracy do to engage uh, folks who are, um, have lost confidence in the system. So uh, I don't, I don't, I don't have a lot of, <laughs> I, she does not have a mandate in a, in a meaningful way um, that, that, you know, and unfortunately, even the people who I think wanted to give her the benefit of the doubt, <laughs> present company excluded, um, <laughs> realize, realize <laughs> that um, she has, you know, sort of frittered away that goodwill. Yeah. Well, uh, by the way, uh, this is an age old argument uh, and and you and were come back at it, uh, Samina, and there's really nothing I could say because uh, my old friend Pat Hill used to do this to me all the time uh, when I would say, well, you know, uh, Pat, uh, black people elected Rahm Emanuel in 2011 and she go, Ben, only and then I forget what percentage it was, only like 30 percent voted. And I go, I can't argue with that. Uh, there is so much. um just, it is a very dispirited, to put it mildly, electorate uh, in the city of Chicago. And part of the reason is that so many people don't believe that the people we elect are going to look out for their best interests. And I can completely understand why when I see the discussion of opening the public schools before people have been vaccinated. And there's no even a clamor, Samina. This part is just really sinking into my head. Where I, I don't want to leave Chicago completely yet, but I just got to say, like the way we're distributing the vaccine like I, I kind of just follow me to Samina. I, I just like, I, I took it in stride. Y- you know what I mean? I was just like, Oh, it's taking a while because these drug companies, they control it and they don't have made enough. And, and then one day I was just like, it hit me. I'm like, wait a minute. Why are we distributing the vaccine to private drug companies? Right. If this is a health crisis that's affecting absolutely everybody in this country. Right. Why haven't we manufactured enough vaccine for everybody to be vaccinated? Right. It's, it, it's so anyway. It, it all ties together. Um, yeah. But but the, but getting back to what you were talking about, Chicago's attitude. It seems to me. Get your thoughts on this. The attitude, the the view people have of Chicago uh, from outside the city, that our leaders, be it Daly, Rom, or Lori Lightfoot are viewed more as more progressive than they actually are by folks outside of Chicago. Am I right in that? I would, 
I would say that that is definitely true of Lightfoot. I think she gets um, credit because of her identity. And I think Rom has been trying to cast himself, like re reinvent himself since he's um, no longer been mayor. And, and sometimes it's been successful and sometimes people call BS on it in a very public way. I mean, when he was very clearly lobbying for a position in the Biden administration, it's very clear that this was a Rom, Rom wants Rom in the administration campaign. Um, and people saw through it. Now, what some people rightfully pointed out is, while this may have been, you know, a, a ROM solo campaign, it did sort of obscure maybe some of the other nominees that may not have been great and then kind of, you know, let some of those folks slip in. But um, to me, Ron has tried to reinvent himself and, I think there's a couple of things that come to mind when it comes to Rom's reputation, and and he is sort of a metaphor for Chicago politics in so many ways. I mean, the fact that he came back to Chicago to run for mayor, um, I'm sure you've probably, you know, like he was able to come back and say like, oh, this has always been like, kind of like, oh, I, I, you know, this is like um, a way for me to, you know, to to, um, like, you know, fulfill some kind of dream. I have no idea what was going on in his head, but it's like, how does it happen that you are really in the most powerful position, unelected position in the United States? Chief of staff at the White House is without a doubt the most powerful unelected position, you know, in, in the country. You got pushed out. How did he come back to Chicago and be able to cast himself as somehow you know, hometown hero coming home to take over um, for daily and and bring Chicago back. Now, I will say this: uh, there was, you know, I was in um, a role where I was working in uh, commercial real estate and saw that there was a difference, and where all of a sudden there was a spigot turned on of corporate relocations to Chicago. So, Ron was using whatever connections he had, whatever reputation he had was better than Daly's, but clearly we know what happened next, right? Um, Ron closed 50 schools. He closed mental health clinics. He He's just profoundly cynical. And let's go back a few decades. I mean, Ron is in many ways was the Stephen Miller of the Clinton administration, right? Ideologically, he pulled uh, Clinton to the right on so many issues. I mean, when he was running for mayor in 2011, there's all these memos that he, you know, penned to say, do this, do that on, on immigration, um, on, on crime. And so he has really um, tried to reinvent himself. And I feel like in some ways, Rom, what Rom has done is very similar to what a lot of other Chicago politicos have done. They've tried to reinvent themselves rebrand themselves. I feel like in some ways, like we talk a lot about like the revolving door of lobbying and, and political appointments and political office. But one thing that doesn't get enough scrutiny is how many um, journalists go into comms role and vice versa. And that's sort of like a laundering of someone's reputation. Like Rom is constantly trying to run away from his very public record and like that op-ed was a perfect example of that. Like how did that end up in print uh, or online without some acknowledgement, like Ron closed 50 schools and now he's talking about telling Biden to invest in education. Like what, what is going on? This is like, it makes no sense. But, but again, this is a microcosm of what happens throughout the Chicago political media. I mean, there is, I would say Chicago political reporters, present company accepted, are really just publicists or stenographers. They're not doing the kind of pushback or really looking at the records of, especially when stuff. I think you, I think you brought up like a, a perfect metaphor. Like a lot of uh, political reporters treat, especially federal um, officials, like visiting dignitaries. Mm-hmm. They're sort of hands off, like, "Oh, thank you, uh, Senator. Thank you, Representative. Thank you for for being here. Thank you for talking to me." and never looking at their records. 
Um, it's, it's absurd. And it's why we don't have a, like, look at, look at where we are in terms of leadership. Like where is, where's Illinois in terms of national leadership? The, the Congressman that's getting the most press right now is uh, Adam Kinzinger. (laughs) And you guess what he's uh, going for? He's going to run for mayor or something. I mean, run for governor rather. He's going to run for something, right? He, that's why he doesn't care about losing his seat. Yeah, well, that's a whole other story, whether he could get out of a Republican primary, uh, having taken such a strong stand against Donald Trump, Uh, whether I'm not I don't know if Adam Kinzinger could be victorious in a run for governor, uh, Samina, because I'm not certain he could win the Republican primary. And uh, MAGA controls the Republican Party and MAGA is really mad uh, at Adam Kinzinger right now. So. He may be the kind of Republican that a moderate Dem would vote for. Uh, That's but, what I worry about. Yeah. Yeah. But to get to that state, to that position, he has to win the Republican nomination. And there's a group of MAGA, true blue MAGA people who would going to be running in that. So maybe if MAGA divides up its vote, Kinzinger could win. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. If Jeannie Ives and some other, uh, somebody else who's sort of, uh, you know, fits the bill, then I think that could, that could very well happen. Oh yeah. I don't even know if there's enough. Having said that, I don't even know if there's enough moderate Republicans left, even if MAGA divides the vote. Uh, That's, that's how bad things are with the Republican party. Uh, Let's uh, move on uh, from uh, Chicago for the moment and talk about uh, national uh, issues. You had some really profound thoughts about the insurrection that took place, uh, the riot at the Capitol on January 6th. I've talked to you a couple times about this. Why don't you share some of your general ideas about that matter? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, I found it uh, really just um, horrific and disturbing and scary. And the more I learn about it, the more I realize it could have been a mass casualty event. And, and I, I want to be also really clear that the people who were at the greatest risk are the people who are, you know, are, are browner and blacker, or like the people of color. I mean, yes, they were gunning for um, Mike Pence. They were literally gunning for Mike Pence and they were in uh, Nancy Pelosi's office. But let's be clear that they, um, you know, the stories about the panic buttons being ripped out of um, Ayanna Presley's office. They just arrested a man in Texas who was uh, going to try to assassinate um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I mean, like these are very I think there is a just not enough um to there's there's not really an understanding of how dangerous this this was and could have been um and and then it came on the heels of what happened in nashville which sort of like came and went and and which is really terrifying because you know um so nobody was you know nobody died in that particular blast but that happened and it was very much in the same vein of like someone who was aggrieved and had seemed to have the same sort of motivation and I feel like we're not the what happened on January 6th is is not it's not over. Like it is continuing. You have people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and this Madison Cawthorn. Like he I think um, that rep Madison Cawthorn even said, like, I'm, most of my team is based is for comms and not legislative, which means that he is completely trying to spin himself as a as a, a MAGA, you know, 2.0. Same with Marjorie Taylor Greene. I mean, this is a person who, um, you know, has been publicly uh, Islamophobic. She was the video that just came out in the last 24 hours is her literally chasing after David Hogg, who survived, uh, you know, a a, like a school shooting and say that he is some kind of George Soros. Let's just be clear. All of these sort of bigotries overlap. Racism, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, you know, uh, transphobia, homophobia. They're all, all of these are, um, they're like a feature of the, like of the Republican party. These are not just like, you know, one-off things. These are, these are where the party is. I mean, people are remembering how Ronald Reagan gave that speech in Mississippi or the three civil rights workers. I mean, it was, 
they were using their indoor voice, but now these people, the Marjorie Taylor Greens, um, the Lauren Boberts, these people are literally bringing weapons into the Capitol. I mean, that is, and so understandably, people are saying, I don't feel safe around you. I don't trust you. And then I look and it's, you know, even, I mean, look what happened um, after the riot. Brad Schneider, COVID positive. Bramilla Jayapal, COVID positive. It's just, just, this is, that was just another feature of it. It's like, we don't care about your safety. And what is really shocking to me is that all of this occurred literally the day after, you know, the Georgia Senate races, right? It occurred right after someone who people had sort of counted out, Stacey Abrams, like, and, and other people in, that, uh, in the Georgia ecosystem, mostly women of color, um, did something that people didn't think was possible. I think there's fundamentally is so much that people are missing because they just don't want to, um, you know, they, they kind of, they can't give credence to the fact that they might be part of the problem. Um, somebody tweeted something uh, that I just thought made a lot of sense, which is like too many people in politics are, are there for their proximity to power, not to actually do anything. Then yeah. that is... That that could describe the entire Illinois delegation. That could describe, you know, most of the people who are in city council. Certainly describes Lori Lightfoot. I mean, that's that's the problem. If you are trying to get more people to come out and vote and beat those 29, 30% numbers, something has to change. You need to have better outcomes and you need to have people who are actually committed to doing something and follow through. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have to say one thing I am struck by, and I, 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 you know, Joe Biden was not my first choice, but a couple of things that they've done early on have actually been quite positive. Are they doing um, everything they said they would? Probably it's not going to happen. And I think what I, one of the biggest issues is they're still trying to play that game of we want to be bipartisan. Yeah. And it is really it's 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 not going to work. The Republican Party is not is they're not none of them are operating in good faith. Not a single one. All right. uh, Before I take uh, the deep dive into the bipartisanship uh, ruse, I just want to just tell people that was a great riff, by the way. You were alluding to a speech that Ronald Reagan made uh, in 1980 when he announced his campaign in Philadelphia, Mississippi. I talk about state rights. Uh, It was a dog whistle. And now people are are shouting through bullhorns. uh, And that's what you were alluding to. Um, I. This it's it's very distressful. I talked about this um, before you came on the show. Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders announced she's running for governor in the state of Arkansas and brags about the service she made to Donald Trump. And then uh, Trump endorsed her campaign. Uh, and she talks about the need for law and order uh, and to stand up, be tough on crime. And no mention is made whatsoever about what went down on January 6th. And uh, the Dem- the Republicans have already made it clear uh, that there's no way they're going to vote, uh, but they need 17 Republicans to impeach Donald Trump. They're not gonna get those 17, it's pretty obvious. So now already the Democrats are sort of like backing off the real moderates. Well, maybe we should go for censure. Do you follow what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. So would you, Outline is true. They're, 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 I'm just looking at the headline in New York Times. U.S. extremists pose a threat. Agency warns. I mean, this is serious. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, the other political party, the other major political party in this country, not only does not recognize it as a serious threat, but is already moving toward condoning it. I mean, the, right now, they went from that one day, Samina, on January 6th of objecting to it and criticizing the insurrection. And now they're sort of in the position of, well, minimizing it by saying, well, it wasn't that bad, or, you know, the the president didn't incite it, and we shouldn't impeach him anyway. And the next step, I could see it already in the rhetoric of Sarah Huckabee Sanders, is to almost owning it, you know, or to at least welcome back the people who, we're on those capital steps. It's a frightening moment, Samina. I'm not quite sure uh, what we should do. What should the Democrats, in your humble opinion, do um, at this moment? 
I, this is, I don't know how or if Joe Biden is his constitution, uh, no pun intended, is built for this. But we need somebody who is willing to uh, push back and say, no, this is enough. Like you're not, he said some things at the inauguration speech that surprised me. He said the phrase white supremacy, which frankly, a lot of white liberals won't say. So I, I give, give his speech writers and give him credit for saying that. But there was a, a, the, one, the podcast that I shared with you, which was the, um, the one, uh, there's a, a writer who wrote a book called Race and Reunion. I, I believe his name is David Blight. And I, um, you know, it, he was basically talking about what happened after the Civil War. And, you know, we, we have not done well with, um, you know, sort of punishing the people who tried to destroy our country. And all that's happened is that the people who were the most vulnerable got hurt. And that's what's essentially happened time and time again. And so I don't have confidence in the Biden administration to do this, but that's what needs to happen. It needs to be clear. Look, you, you know, you tried to overthrow a, a, a fair and free election. There, there must be consequences. So seeing the headlines like, oh, the Justice Department and the FBI are weighing whether they want to overwhelm local courts. I never had that problem when the, when the defendants were black and brown. Never had that problem. Somehow you weren't worried about overloading the courts. Um, and then I see headlines like, I think I saw something from Axios. Democrats and Republicans each have their extremists. Oh, yeah, AOC, she's such an extremist. She wants people to have health care and a minimum wage. That's terrible. What are they talking about? This is like this. And, and unfortunately, Axios, Punchbowl, Politico, they're all from the same, like they're all the same like mentality, which is this both sides. And frankly, the New York Times is in the same, same bucket, right? It, it, they're all trying to placate um, the, the right wing and having no sort of self-awareness like, these are people who literally want us dead. They wanted to kill Mike Pence. Mike Pence, the evangelical who has been loyal to Trump till almost the end. I mean, think about it. Mike Pence, if they want to kill Mike Pence, you and I are dead, Ben. Yeah. So, and Dennis too. Sorry, Dennis, I didn't mean to leave you out. But that's, that's it. I mean, we are, we are we, there is... This is beyond a, a, a partisan uh, conversation. And that's where I think this is where reporting and, and media has a role to play, but they're failing miserably at it. They're not understanding the, 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 what the violence here. You've had law enforcement missing this for two reasons, primarily one, too many of these folks are in their own ranks and it's hard to, um, you know, kind of go after people who fit your profile. Like there's too many people who like, oh, this person was um, a successful CEO from the suburbs of Chicago. <laughs> like what is this guy? You know, a woman uh, flies a private plane. Where's that economic anxiety you guys are talking about? Where's your diners in the middle of rural Iowa? Sorry, these don't, these folks, I don't feel sorry for them. There's nothing wrong. What is what is driving them? What radicalized them to use a phrase that people often say about Muslims? You know, it's it, there are it is it is something that's been part of our culture and part of our history that people just don't know. I mean, you can look and Google things like Tulsa and Wilmington, and I think people not knowing some of those incidences and I'm something, someone who's constantly seeking out that knowledge. And so I'm not claiming to be any kind of expert on this, but anytime you start reading some of these things, like Wilmington was a, a, a coup. Absolutely. If you, um, uh, I think I believe the year was 1898, there was a duly elected um, uh, local election and the white 
supremacist uh, coup that happened. They killed 30 people. That's that's the number that we uh, history books have, have left us with. But I mean, it was because black and white folks came together and there were um, there was a, a, a coalition government. They're like, no, no, this, this can't happen. I mean, that is what they were trying to do on January 6th. Yeah. By the way, I just want to make one another uh, clarification, correction, something you said. Uh, Pence was loyal to Trump till the end. I would argue that he was loyal to the very, very end. Uh, he did not invoke the 25th Amendment uh, to remove Donald Trump uh, from office, even though Donald Trump had incited uh, the riot uh, that had people with uh, news, the a rope ready to hang him. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, so, and he still wouldn't, uh, he still wouldn't invoke the 25th. And so I still, I think Mike Pence is trying to have it both ways. You know, he's hoping that uh, he can somehow position himself as MAGA's candidate in 2024. Good luck with that. Um, He's probably going to face some of the same problems Adam Kinzinger uh, is facing. Uh, you, you mentioned something that really, it grinds my gears, as they say, the false equivalency. Now talk a little bit more about that, where somehow or other AOC uh, is equated to an insurrectionist. Okay, well, I'm going to share a story that you and I talked about before, which is when I was running, I remember people, you know, Justice Democrats was, was new. Um, that was even before AOC's win, and that was in June of, of 2018. So people were still like, who are these people? What is, what is Justice Democrats? And I will never forget this, this conversation I had with a member of Indivisible Chicago who said, oh, are, are you just going to be the Freedom Caucus of the left? And <laughs> uh, you can count on a liberal to make a false equivalence like, all day long. Yeah, no, we're not going to be the Freedom Caucus of the left because we're not going to storm the Capitol. We're not going to uh, vote to cage children. We're not going to vote against Black Lives Matter. We're not going to oppose universal health care. Guess who does that? Mike Quigley. Like these people have so and that goes back to all of the things that I've been talking about. There's so little awareness of what our representatives actually do and what they stand for and what they say. And that's where the comms team comes into play. They create this illusion that, oh yeah, your rep is just as progressive because you're from a blue area. No, you're not. You have someone who is a hypocrite and who doesn't represent progressive values. And guess what? This nonsense about the Freedom Caucus of the left is absurd. There is also another strain that in that is in sort of leftist media, which is this whole concept of forcing a vote on Medicare for all, which I can't help but hear some of the same racist, sexist tropes in that. It's about it's Jimmy Dore and his whole like shtick, which he is trying to say like, oh, the squad is terrible. AOC is terrible. I'm, he literally was like, I made her. She won't come back on my show. Like, you sound, what is the difference, honestly, on some level when it comes to this stuff? Like, yeah, I know you're talking about universal health care, but you're really talking about, you know, black and brown women in, um, in office who are, you're acting like they serve you like they're slaves. Like I, there's something profoundly racist about um, how they, they speak about um, the squad. And so, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I really, I'm struck by the racism in the white supremacy and the sexism on the left that is, is really significant. It's, it's, it's something that people don't want to confront um, another thing that somebody mentioned was like everybody, um, you know, who's a liberal or a leftist or progressive says, oh, yeah, we, we believe in anti-racism. And then you look at their boards and their executive teams. They're all white. So, you know what? If you really are truly anti-racist, why don't you step down? Why don't you hand your seat, your role to a person of color or a person from the, a, a marginalized person? You don't actually believe every, anything you're saying. We can see right through you. So uh, this uh, this moment is and and this whole force the vote conversation was was really gearing up right before this January sixth insurrection. 
And I just think like these people almost died and you're talking about them like they're turncoats. Like they're, they do need to be accountable. They are elected. They have constituents. But there is something that happens that is different in the scrutiny and the safety that folks who are in Congress, who are people of color, Maxine Waters, AOC, Ayanna Presley, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, like there, there is more danger that they are going through than uh, even a Nancy Pelosi is. And certainly like the entire Illinois delegation is not like, you know, I guess Brad Schneider notwithstanding, like they're just not facing this, the same danger because they're not visible and they're not, they weren't demonized by Trump. Trump went after Maxine Waters right away, called her stupid. I mean, and he did the same thing to black women reporters on the, um, at the white house, yeah. like Yamishi Alcindor. He did all these April Ryan, all of these same things he did. There's no accidents. And so I, I have, um, yeah, I'm just really, I'm, I'm really frustrated by the, the false equivalence, as you said, but also the lack of awareness and frankly, indifference towards the safety of these people of color who have put their, literally their lives on the line to step up and talk about things that we care about, like yeah. healthcare. <laughs> Uh, you mentioned something, and uh, we might be good to close with it. Uh, a little uh, positive amidst the bleakness. I'm not quite sure I see the positive, but uh, maybe you can help me. Uh, you mentioned Biden's positives uh, in the first uh, two weeks. It's been two weeks. Yeah, two weeks of his yeah. uh, presidency. What are some of the positives that you see? So I'd say um, information. Uh, it, it sounds so uh, like it might sound like, wait, what is it? Like, just the fact that they're having regular briefings mm -hmm. and that they're taking questions. Um, I did catch a little bit of the COVID-19 briefing, which, you know, there was a, um, a good section. Um, Dr. Um, Marcella Nunez-Smith was speaking about racial equity in the, in the rollout. And so that is a big difference, right? Because the briefings that were happening in under the Trump administration were really just, um, like basically a, like a, a nonstop, you know, set of fabrications. They were just like making stuff up. Now we're hearing from Deborah Burks that like she was presenting one set of numbers and another set of numbers was being shown to Trump. It, this is, this cost lives. This is what I find a little frustrating and I will, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm like losing the positive thread, but people keep talking about how Trump didn't uh, start a war. He killed 400,000 Americans. That's m more than most wars. Uh, by the way, I have to tell you this. Uh, just uh, yes. And this reminds me of a, a de uh, debate I had on the um, on the show with Monroe Anderson. We were getting into a, a, a tangential discussion. Who was worse uh, as president, George W. Bush or Donald Trump? And I was taking the Bush position at the moment. And I was talking about the two wars that uh, George Bush Bush lost. And I go, well, at least, and I just said, that, at least Donald Trump didn't launch any major wars. And uh, and then Monroe came right back at me with, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then what can I'm I do? Sorry, I <laughs> You know what, Monroe and I should do a, like a, like a, we should have like a, like a, like a boxing match, you know, like Monroe and Samina versus Ben. I had to concede. Yeah, you made a good point, Monroe. All right, let's move on. Uh, and, uh, but, but see, but that's unfortunate that people don't see, you know, the reality of, you know, there is, a, you know, Personal alone isn't policy, but it does make a difference sometimes who's in that seat. There was that story in the Tribune about a woman who left a church where she had been um, in, you know, they had been uh, keeping her safe in sanctuary for three years. And she finally left. I think it was last week. I think the Tribune reported it like that to me is like that's a big deal. She was scared enough that she wasn't going to yeah. leave the church. Now, Biden has a lot to do with immigration. But I, there are, there is a subset of folks, folks who are affected by the Muslim ban, folks that are affected by deportations. The moratorium is 100 days; it's not enough. There's more to do. But those are steps in the right direction. 
Like, I, that's what I like. I agree. What, I, I, and I just wanted to hear you say that. I, I mean, I just look at these three headlines in today's paper. I'll just give you the headlines. President's team ouse holdovers from Trump's uh, era. And it has a lot to do with the uh, Environmental Protection Agency. Uh, U.S. extremists pose a threat. Agency warns. So it's like somebody's looking out for this stuff. And then this one, Biden pitches climate policy as a jobs plan, which is straight out of AOC's uh, new green deal, I might add. So on all of those fronts, I would say that's progress. Do you agree with me? Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, the second piece about the um, the law enforcement seeing this, you know, extremism as a as a problem. That's where I would say we need to have some more scrutiny. And this is where reporting and investigative work would be meaningful, because the fact is we you know, we've been through this with um, post 9-11. The, the the amount of scrutiny, surveillance and, you know, detention and, and all of the things that went that the Muslim community went through and that affected other communities that looked brown, <laughs> you know, whether they were Sikh or Hindu, like this is the, there are people who are experts in this. They've literally been through this. And so they need to be listened to when it comes to, to how things get framed, how um, we can improve some of these investigations. That's, you know, some of these investigations regarding white supremacist um, activity were shut down because of people like a Marjorie Taylor Greene waving their hands and saying, you know, we need to be bipartisan. No, we don't. Because guess what? You just gave up your there's you have no moral high ground. You never had it, but you definitely don't have it now. Yeah, that that video, by the way, I saw that yesterday. Marjorie Taylor Greene, two years ago, uh, walking after uh, David. Um, that was striking. Yeah, yeah, that was striking. She was berating him as she walked down as he walked down the street, uh, and you know it was just it was offensive on many levels. Uh, and now she's a congresswoman from Georgia. Uh, by the way, I, we're running out of time here, but. It's there's so much irony. Um, I, I one of the homework assignments I gave you, I don't know if you did it, was to look at uh, what Tulsi Gabbard was saying, a former congresswoman from Hawaii, ran for Democrat uh, president uh, 2019. I talked a little bit about it the other day, but uh, she's uh, warning of all overreach. Suddenly she's become a civil libertarian and she's really concerned about her overreach uh, and that the government um, would be. Um, using what happened on January 6th as a pretext to take away the constitutional rights of Americans and spy on them, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, have you had a chance to to read through some of her comments? Do you have a, an opinion about them? Um, I haven't seen them. I saw the headline, but I didn't read through her comments. But this kind of ties in some of the things we talked about earlier, which is Dulce uh, Gabbard was a Jimmy Dore favorite, by the way. Uh, so it all, it all makes sense. Um, but she's someone who ironically her alignment with Modi and the Hindu fascists in India, it's like her um, support of them. She's finally now aligned her politics domestically with her um, approach in, in India. So it's like, it actually matches up. Modi is India's Trump without, Mm -hmm. without a doubt. So at least she's, she's being consistent now. Uh, she was pretending to be a Democrat or someone who believed in American democracy. And now she's she's revealing her, her true stripe, her true stripes. So, I mean, I don't I, I did not. Um, it struck me how many folks on the left were fans of hers and, and refused to believe. Uh, the stories about her alliances, where her money came from uh, and and frankly, um bought her 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 BS, her her spin, going back to that other theme, which is she was able to try to reinvent herself as she ran for president. But her record, what she had done, what she had said, and her her voting record um, was brought up rightfully so. And so, um, yeah, no, she's she is someone who is going to continue to be um, a concern because she does she does actually fit the profile of someone who uh, would fit well in the sort of GOP. Um, you know, she's a veteran. And she, that's she. She has a powerful story. 
<laughs> she does. And I have to uh, thank you. And it is funny because when I got a talk show, uh, I, I vaguely knew uh, of uh, Tulsi Gabbard that the people on the left liked her. Uh, and it just was the three Indian Americans who came on my show. <laughs> I, it's just amazing. Uh, Amishi Patel, I'm going to give shout outs. Amishi Patel, Samina Mustafa, and uh, Ramana Hussein. And they, I just the three of you. And it wasn't like you guys planned it. Okay. I don't even know. Yeah. Well, I know you know uh, Ramana. I don't know if you know Amishi. Anyway, the point is, it's like, it was. Do you know, you know, I, the name came up in passing, Tulsi Gabbard's name and uh, the three of you and your own without, I don't think it was planned in advance. I don't think it was a, a, a cabal or any kind. So do you yeah. know what Tulsi Gabbard's attitude is toward Muslims in, in, in uh, India? And uh, so, yeah, the left, the left has its eyes closed and its ears closed too. That's yeah. for sure. Uh, which is which is why it's going to be difficult to to push people and to um, to you know this sort of force the vote concept. It will won't uh, won't succeed because there is this this profound disconnect. Yeah. Uh, all right, Samina. Before I let you go, tell folks about your podcast. You may have left Chicago, but you're still doing a podcast. Yeah. So- um, Thanks. Yeah, it's, it's called Hand for the Mic. I just posted an episode with uh, three women of color who were part of a, a women of color leadership cohort that I attended with um, Repower, which is used to be the Wellstone Institute. And I'm going to be uh, posting another episode soon with the, um, the founder of a, a site called Repro Jobs. And they remain anonymous, but they talk about all the racism and the issues in the reproductive rights uh, arena. So like Planned Parenthood and all those places. And so that will be posted uh, next month. All right, very good. Hand her the mic, uh, Samina. Uh, it's great to have you back. We'll bring you on. Uh, you'll be our. Oh, no, I actually, I actually have two West Coast core. I just had. Oh, really? uh, yeah, Constantine Anthony is his name, and he's uh, a councilman in um, uh, Burbank, California, which is outside of LA. And he's uh, organizing Uber and Lyft drivers, uh, gig uh, economy workers. So he was. So I have two West Coast correspondents. How the about West that? Coast Bureau of the <laughs> yeah. Ben Show. <laughs> Every Chicago podcast needs one. Uh, all right, Samina, stay safe and sound. We'll talk to you soon, okay? All right. Thanks so much. Take care. That's the great Samina Mustafa, our correspondent in LA. D, you got any updates for us? To face this kind of historic moment, some might have Biden look to Lincoln and FDR for inspiration. Teddy Roosevelt actually provides a more useful guide. Oh, man, I'm sorry. I was just reading the latest op-ed from Rahm Emanuel, How to Calm America's 100-Year Storm. You know, you were kind of hard on it, but it's not that bad. All right, Dennis, I'm going to ask you the question. Hmm. The tough question. Hmm. No, No ducking, no dodging. In your humble opinion, having read at least the first paragraph of that essay, I doubt very much you read much more. Did Rahm Emanuel actually write that essay? Go. I, I read it. I loved it. And yes, of course. <laughs> okay. I just needed to know that. I got some land. I want to sell you a bridge in Arizona. <laughs> hey, let's do the back half. Only two stories. First up, breaking news. <laughs> <laughs> This comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Rachel Hinton. Governor J.B. Pritzker said today that he's activated 500 Illinois National Guard members for a security mission in Washington, D.C. that will last until mid-March. We have a quote from Pritzker here. Quote, the U.S. Department of Defense has asked Illinois to assist federal and local agencies in this continued effort, and Major General Neely and I are ready to ensure that the state of Illinois continues its proud legacy of protecting our democracy. Ultimately, we must root out the dark forces of racism, white supremacy, and disinformation that have created this moment. But until we do that, our extraordinary troops will deploy with honor. That sounds great, but can I also ask in return, can you get us some vaccines? Just, huh? A little help, Washington, D.C., on the vaccine front? We're in the middle of a pandemic? Yeah, D, the, the light went on in my head. I'm like, we're in the middle of a pandemic. We have a solution, but somehow or other, we can't make enough of the solution. So 
How about we do a swap? National Guard, we give you some National Guard protection, you give us some vaccines. How about that, D? Is that too much to ask for? I like it. And hey, Pritzker, can you say something uh, about the teachers union and the CPS thing? I'm not a perfect person. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> Uh, he's not getting into that one. Uh-uh. Oh, no. Uh, Chicago what? Chicago public what? <laughs> oh, I'm not going anywhere near that one. Nope. Lori who? Lori who? Uh, I never heard of her. Huh? <laughs> uh, oh, so that was some breaking news, huh? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And lastly, Chicago Fraternal Order of Police President John Catanzara. I've asked it once and I'll ask it again. Dude, why do you live in Chicago and keep torturing yourself? Seriously. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Fran the Woman Spielman. John Catanzara, the controversial firebrand who leads the biggest Chicago police officers union, is again facing administrative charges that could lead to his firing from the Chicago Police Department. These new charges made public Wednesday by the Chicago Police Board allege Catanzara filed a false police report against former police superintendent Eddie Johnson after Johnson took part in an anti-violence march on the Dan Ryan Expressway in July 2018. Catanzara, quote, knowingly generated a case incident report under RD number JB346816, <laughs> falsely and or misleadingly listing Chicago Police Superintendent Eddie Johnson as an offender for criminal trespass to state-supported land. In November 2018, Catanzara filed another police report against Commander Ronald Pentacore Jr., listing the commander, quote, as an offender for interference with public officer obstructing justice, according to the charges. It's also alleged that Catanzara identified himself as, quote, Beat 801, a designation reserved for CPD supervisor. Catanzara could not be reached for comment on Wednesday. Oh, Johnny C, going underground. Can't be reached for comment with the bright one? That's how you're treating the sun times, Johnny? You know how many times they put your picture in that paper promoting you? So much to unpack in this one, D. Uh, I got to say this. John Catanzara's uh, politics are way, 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 way to the right. Far, 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 far to the right for me. And yet, every now and then, I find myself like kind of defending the guy. So, I don't know. Like, of all the th- horrific things that he's allegedly done, this is what you're coming up with. I mean, the Tribune article, I got to give the Tribune credit. They wrote a long article. It was front page story. Here it is. Chicago FOP leader faces new charges. Uh, who wrote it? Give the guy a shout out. Uh, Jeremy Gorner. Uh, details. All the offenses this guy, these horrific things he said on social media about Muslims. Just really hateful dreck. So there's a lot of reasons why uh, this man has uh, disrespected the badge that he got to wear when he became a Chicago police officer. But I don't know. The whole thing about filing the report about Eddie Johnson, i just like to say something, MAGA. You guys are so freaking inconsistent. I just got to go back in time. 2018, uh, Eddie Johnson and Father Flager and Jesse Jackson, they led a march. Well, Eddie Johnson didn't lead the march, but Father Flager just suggested we're going to lead a march. They they just felt that the powers that be in our city and our state were ignoring the carnage that was happening year after year in black communities, the crime rate. So it was like either what police tactics weren't working. There wasn't enough investigation of crimes that had been committed so that there was like an incentive not to shoot people. Uh, We were not uh, enforcing gun laws enough to prevent the just mass distribution of guns, perhaps hold gun manufacturers liable for the murders that occur with their weaponry would be something we would consider. But no, Congress wasn't going to do that. Uh, There wasn't you. Maybe we need more jobs. So that people, you know, aren't idle. Uh, maybe we need more medical. God, we know we need more mental health care, but no, we're closing clinics. All these things that might have been done to address the carnage were not being addressed. And so some 
they they had protest. And so much of what MAGA says, it's like when a black activist uh, protests against police shootings, MAGA says, why don't you ever talk about people killed in uh, by black on black crime? Well, here we're activists trying to bring attention to that. And what does Candace Aaron do? Eddie Johnson stood with Flager and uh, Jesse Jackson. I consider it like a significant moment of solidarity between the police department and activists, something that the police department could work from, it's like to build better relations, you know, as a start. And what's Johnny Canizero do? He writes up a complaint. He's mad. I thought you guys wanted activists to address the issue of black and black crime. So when they address it, you write up a complaint. I mean, I'm not quite sure what MAGA wants uh, from black people other than the incarceration, mass incarceration of black people. So I, I, I don't get why he would be so mad at Eddie Johnson for doing that. But he got mad at Eddie Johnson for doing that. And now it's coming back to haunt. But all the things he did, D, that's like the least of it. Writing up a complaint about Eddie Johnson. And if that's what gets him fired, <laughs> just shake my head. In Chicago, the way we do things in Chicago, I do not uh, understand. But, uh, yeah, I read that one, and it had, it had me shaking my head on a couple of fronts, D. What does MAGA want people to do? I guess uh, they're, they're mad at Jesse Jackson and Father Flager and Eddie Johnson for taking trying to take a stand against uh, black and black crime. But they want them punished for that. Hmm. Weird stuff, D. At a moment when questions of inclusion and exclusion gird nearly every political and economic debate, Washington needs to focus on giving every citizen the tools required to build a prosperous middle cap. I cannot put this Rahm Emanuel story down. Gird. Where did he come up with that word? Honey. I don't know. My Remember Rahm writing in the basement? He's writing his little essay about transportation in Chicago, and he needs help with the word, so he yells up to his wife, Honey, what's another word for... You know, I don't know, train, uh, transit. Oh, thank you. I, mean, I, think, I think you're being a little biased. This one's pretty good. I uh, Maybe give it a second read. Maybe you'll like it. Uh, but yeah. How about you give it a first read? What are you talking about? I've been reading it. I'm almost done. It's <laughs> uh, pretty funny. But anyway, Kat, Kat and Zara, uh, yeah, uh, I said it once. Uh, dude, uh, my, remember my prediction. Remember my prediction, Ben. John Kat and Zara by June will be no longer the president of the FOP. He will step down and he will be living in Florida. Yeah, and have a, and have a podcast. It'll be huge, hugely successful. Yeah. MAGA will love. When MAGA discovers Johnny C, oh my, but dude, why don't you move to South Dakota? You can run for like governor. I mean, you'll be huge in like South Dakota, MAGA portions of Florida, Wyoming. I don't know, man. <laughs> Hanging around Chicago. Uh, but yeah, you're absolutely correct. He go down to Florida, MAGA man in Florida. Well, oh my God, they go, where have you been all my life? Can I hug you? They will love him almost as much as the Chicago Sun-Times photo editor. I mean, like, dude, not, not even trying to talk trash. Like, dude, John, Ke what, just why do you live here, man? You're making your life miserable. Like, just go somewhere where people, you know. Like, hell yeah, this guy's awesome. Maybe he likes it. Uh, Maybe pizza, he likes it. The pizza know? is good. <laughs> but you know what he's going to go down to florida you're so right he's going to have a podcast he's going to be huge he's going to be the next rush limbaugh you 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 hit it on the head d and, and uh he's just going to go right past us and just be the next rush limbaugh huh yeah yeah <laughs> right past us Anyway, so that is our Ben Jarofsky show for today. Remember, you can download previous Benny J shows, guest interviews, so much more at chicagoreader.com and wherever else you download podcasts. Over 800 episodes. All right. I'm sure there's one or two you may have missed. So go check that out. Chicagoreader.com and wherever else you download podcasts. Remember, you can find us online at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can always send us an email, Show at gmail.com. And yes, we have a phone number, 708-658-4788. Doogie, we played your voicemail last week. That number again, 
658-4788. We would love to hear from you. And not that Mike Boast guy. I'm sick of it. Every <laughs> year we give power to one person. Not him, you we want to hear from. Boast. Boast, he's gone. Madigan's no longer the speaker, so you, you don't have to complain anymore. All right, I want to thank uh, Samina Mustafa. Did an outstanding job, as uh, she always does. And Slugger. Let's not forget Slugger, our mystery guest. She killed it, man. Great job, Slugger. Uh, and, of course, I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of all in Illinois, without whom this show is, is possible. And as Johnny C. and Samina Mustafa will tell you, back home in Alton, they call him White Lightning. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it every year. I won't just turn the car around. Just turn the car around. I won't just turn the car around. I'm gonna shut it off. I'm gonna kick you out, and I'm gonna make you walk home. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it.